That's right. James chapter 1 this morning. We're going to be finishing out the first chapter. We'll be looking at verses 19 to 27. James chapter 1. If you can go ahead and find that in your Bible. And a side note there. I always encourage people to have a Bible. Uh, not just because it's a good practice to have a Bible so you can read it, but it's always a good practice to have a Bible so you can make sure the preacher's saying what he's supposed to say. And you won't be able to know that if you just take my word for it. So I always encourage you to have your Bible open and follow along. Um, as we begin today, I want to tell you a little story. And it's a true story, and about now is when one of my children is going to try to slip down underneath the pew for impossible embarrassment. But my oldest daughter, Elizabeth, when she was young, very young, in fact, she w this was before her, either of her sisters were born. Um, is it something I said? Wow. I thought Elizabeth was going to react that way, but no. Okay. Um, so anyway, we were living in this house in Lexington, and uh, Elizabeth was, I think, I don't know, two or three, maybe three, something like that. So Caitlin was, Caitlin was a toddler. Sarah was not born yet. So, yeah, Elizabeth was about four three or four, somewhere, she was young, and, and we were sitting there in the den, and she, the dining room table has eight chairs around it, or did at the time, and the, the, the chair on the end, you know, had the arms, and so I guess it was attractive to climb on it, so she's climbing up on the chair, and I said, Elizabeth, don't climb on the chair, you're going to fall, you're going to get hurt. Just don't climb on the chair. So she let go of it. And what, what happened next? Anybody want to forecast? I, I turned and looked this way. And so what happened behind me? She's back on that chair. And she starts to climb up it. Well, by the time I get turned around, she's toppling over and, and falling. And I actually said these words out loud. And once I said it, as soon as it got out of my mouth, I realized the problem of what I said. I said, Elizabeth, didn't I just tell you not to do that? And then I said this. This was the really damaging part. Do you realize how much pain you would save yourself if you would just do what I say? And by the time that sentence got all the way out of my mouth, it's like the Holy Spirit took a big hand and smack me in the back of the head. Because as soon as I said it, I could hear God say it to me. Now just think about that for a minute. Do you realize how much pain you could save yourself if you would just do what I say? There it is. We got the book. No shortage of knowing what God says but almost on a daily basis, it seems like we have to be reminded. Do you realize how much pain you would save yourself? You just do what I say. The title of the message today is Genuine Christianity, or also known as Do What I Say. 
James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, if you follow along as I read. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror and for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak very clearly to us today. Don't let me mess it up. In other words, don't let me say anything that you don't want to be said or anything that's not according to your word. Because it's your word that matters. It's not mine. So let us hear from you today, Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Two simple things in this text today, and we're going to work them out because there's details in, a, in each one, but two simple things. Number one, know the Word. Know the Word. Number two, obey the Word. Seems simple enough, right? I mean, that's, that's real simple. Know it, obey it. Know the Word, obey the Word. Seems easy. I mean, it almost seems like a foregone conclusion. If we're a Christian, if we're following Jesus, then it seems like it would be obvious we're supposed to know what he says and we're supposed to do what he says. But it is not that easy, is it? Personal experience would show us it's not that easy. Simple to say, that, that cliche, that phrase comes to mind, easier said than done. It's easier said than done. Number one, know the word. Look at these first two verses, 19 and 20. It says, this you know. It's almost like a uh, a foregone conclusion. It's almost like you should know this, my beloved brethren. So James is talking to Christians, the church. He's talking about believers. He says, you should know this. Know this. Everyone. Who's everyone? Is anybody left out of that phrase? Everyone? That's, that's all of us, right? So none of us get to skate out on that one. Everyone, look at what he says, must be quick to hear, slow to speak. Now that's interesting. A continual talker can't hear what anyone else says and by the same token will not hear what God says. But here I got to thinking about this. Did you know we were created with two ears and one mouth? That means we ought to listen twice as much as we talk. And did you know your ears can't close 
but your mouth can? Isn't that interesting? I don't think that's a coincidence. Now, you can close your ears. You can cover them up, but they weren't made to close. So your mouth, you can just close it. Two ears and one mouth. I, I said that to a, a class in the middle school one day. I was substitute teaching one day several years ago, and they were talking a lot, and I clapped my hands real loud, kind of like I did Wednesday night, and uh, got everybody's attention. I said, hey, you got two ears and one mouth. That means you're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. And it, the whole class was like, you could tell they were thinking about what I just said. Oh, I never thought about that. never realized that. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce or achieve or accomplish the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Produce righteousness means to do what God requires of his people. So that means the slower we are to hear and the quicker we are to speak, which is opposite, right, of what we're supposed to do, so when we do it opposite, then that means the quicker we are to get angry at something, which may, maybe we shouldn't have been angry about. And when we do that, what are we not doing? We're not doing exactly what God calls his people to do, which is be righteous, a life of righteousness. So the anger of man does not produce or achieve the righteousness of God. Righteousness cannot flourish with an angry attitude. So James has a very simple point here in these first two verses. Very simple. The human anger does not produce behavior that pleases God. So what's our goal as Christians? We want to we please God, right? I mean, it, it, as a Christian, isn't that, isn't that what I should be wanting to do? I should be wanting to listen to what he says and do what he says, but what's the goal of that? To please him. He has done everything for me. Sent his son to die for my sins in my place so that I might have eternal life and forgiveness because I trust and, and believe in him and, and put all my faith in him and what he's done. So he's done all that, so I should try, my response ought to be, well, I want to please God. I want to do what he says. As his follower, that's what I want to do. So that's what I need to do. That's the simple point. I need to avoid anger. And a good way to do that is being quick to hear and slow to speak. Know the word. That's number one. Number two, and this is the, the longer point of the message today. Number two, obey the word. Look at verse 21. Therefore, so based on these first two verses, we know what the word says. Because we're quick to hear. We don't want to speak as quickly. Therefore, based on that, here's what we need to do. Put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. It literally means put off, take off. It's almost like changing clothes. And Paul would use this same imagery in the New Testament many times. We need to take off some things, put on some things. Because when we become children of God, there's different expectations on us now. So we need to change some things. We need to allow the Holy Spirit of God to do some change in us because we don't need to be the same person we used to be. And so today I can say, well, I'm not who I ought to be, but thank God not, I'm not who I used to be. 
there's work being done. The Holy Spirit is changing me day by day. So what we should do is put aside some things, filthiness and wickedness, and then it says in humility. What's that mean? It means make less of myself. I heard it said one time, hum- humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's thinking less of yourself. Think about that for a minute. I'm not a big deal. In, in fact, I'm, on the grand scheme of eternity, I'm, I'm a nobody. I, I really am. I'm, I'm a nobody. I, my, my life, other than what Jesus Christ has done and can do and will do through me, I am, my life is of no consequence on the, in the grand scheme of things. I, I am nobody special. And, and that's reality. Now, I can, if I want to inflate my ego and, and have some arrogance and be conceited about things, then I can sit there and spend all my time trying to figure out why I'm so important and why people need to look at me as somebody so special. But that's not reality. See, that's just an illusion going on up here between my ears. That's not the truth. The truth is, I am a child of God. He is created and saved, and and that's the best thing about me. Nothing else about me is anything special other than the fact that Jesus died for my sins. That's the most important thing you need to know about me. So that's, that's humility. That's being humble in your heart and your spirit. So the Bible says, in humility, we are to receive the word implanted. Implanted. Which is able to save your souls. Now, what does that mean exactly? Once you know the word, you're now accountable for obeying the word. So we need to prepare our hearts then to fully and intelligently appropriate the word, which means putting aside filthiness, putting aside wickedness, being humble, allowing the word to influence every part of our lives. So, so basically, here's what it, what it should look like. There's no part of my life that should not be influenced by what Jesus says. Everything I do, everything I say, my desires, my my just anything, fill in the blank. It doesn't matter where I go, what I do, what I say, how I treat people, what I think, how I, how I love my wife, how I raise my children, how I do my job. Anything and everything should be affected by what Jesus says. That's what it means to receive the word implanted. See, it's able to save your soul. So that's a... a uh, an orientation about salvation. So the word's not just helpful. See, I heard I've heard different things said about the word, uh, little acronyms that are, and, and they're not bad, but it's just it's not complete. So like the the Bible is basic instructions before leaving Earth. You ever heard that little acronym Bible? Uh, or this is God's um, little instruction book. Or and all those things are true. But here's the main thing. It, when you open up the Bible, the, if you read the Bible, it'll tell you how to be saved. It'll tell you how to find Jesus and, and receive forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. So the Word implanted is able to save your souls. But that's just the beginning of the race. That's not where it ends. That's where it starts. Because look at verse 22. Prove yourselves. What's it mean to prove something? 
You know what I think of? I think of a courtroom trying to prove something. What's the main ingredient of proving something? What you got to have? Evidence. Got to be evidence. How are you going to prove something if you don't have any evidence to prove it? Right? What's our evidence? It's the way I live. It's the way I act. The way I talk. The way I treat people. The way I live. That's evidence. So I need to prove myself, verse 22 says, prove yourselves doers of the word. Now I want to break this down here, this whole concept, because from verse 22 down to verse 25 is one little section that kind of tells us what it looks like, the difference between somebody who does the word and somebody who just hears the word. So look real carefully with me at the language that James uses here that the Holy Spirit puts in his heart and mind, and then ultimately he writes down, verse 22, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So you know what that tells me? That means if I hear the word and don't do it, I'm in a delusion. I'm delusional. If I hear the word but I don't bother to do it, there's something going on wrong in my head and in my heart. Because I've got the word right here in front of me, so that means I'm fresh out of excuses. Here it is. I can't say I'm ignorant anymore because I've got the Word. I'm reading it. I see it. I understand it. Now I know it. But why am I not doing it? It's a good question, isn't it? If all those other things are true, why would I not then do the Word? I'll tell you why. Because I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus. Because if I don't have Jesus... I'm not just going to wake up one day and decide to do the right thing. Did you know that? That's true of me. That's true of all of you, all of us. We're sinners. So that means without Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit of God working in us, we will never just wake up and decide, you know, I think I'm going to do the right thing all day today. I think I'm going to just do the right thing. I'm going to say the right things, think the right things, do the right things, treat people the right way. Every time, I think I'm going to just do that. That's not a thought that occurs to the sinner. Did you know that? The sinner doesn't think that way because the sinner is enemy with God. So we're, we're thinking opposite. That's why we need Jesus so badly. So I'm in a delusion if I hear the word and don't do it. Look at verse 23. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and once he's looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just going up to a mirror, like walk in your bathroom this afternoon, look at your face in the mirror, and then turn around and walk out of the bathroom? In that little second, do you think you're really going to forget what you look like? I wonder what color hair I have. What color eyes I got? I mean, really? You forget what you look... That's how, that's how little sense it makes to hear the Word and not do it. It's like looking in a mirror and then not knowing what you look like, even though you're staring right at the truth, but it's not getting in. Does that make sense? It's not getting in here. It's not getting in here. It's right there in front of you. So the Bible says, if you hear it and don't do it, that's as silly as looking in a mirror and then not knowing what you look like. Makes no sense at all. None. But the Bible continues, if you look at verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law. 
So there's two things it's just in that first phrase. How are we supposed to look into God's Word? Intently. You know what that means? Seriously. On purpose. Carefully. I'm going to look at this Word and I'm going to study it. I'm going to meditate on it. And I'm, I'm going to read it carefully and get everything out of it I can. All the meaning I can get out of it. So I'll know, I'll know exactly what God wants me to do. Right? How many people, when you buy something, like say it's a, a bicycle, and it says those famous words, some assembly required. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm partial to the one that's sitting in the store already put together that I can throw in the back of the truck and take it home. But if it's some assembly required, how many of us see that big, thick book with all those words and pictures in it and just, who needs this? Throw that in the trash. I know how to put this thing together. Right? I'm going to throw those instructions right in the trash can where they belong. I don't know why they even wasted the paper to print these things. Right? What usually happens when that happens? Either you get done and you got a, a pile of extra stuff here. I wonder why they put that in the bag. I didn't even use that. Or you get to a point and you're just like, hmm, I don't really know what I ought to do next. Maybe I should have saved those directions. But very rarely, if ever, do you use all the parts and you end up with a perfectly put-together bicycle. You know why that is? Because the person who made the bicycle knows exactly what parts are needed for the bicycle and sent along a book to let the person who buys the bicycle know how to put it together in the right way so that it will work the way it was designed to work. Y'all hear what I'm saying? God created you to function a particular way. And he gave you everything necessary to function the way you were designed to function. So how much sense does it take? I'm going to just put that back. I don't need that. I know what I'm doing. Really? Do we really? Do we really know what we're doing? Because, you know, I can tell you from personal experience, when I think I know what I'm doing and I just toss God's Word aside, I can tell you how it ends with, with every time I've ever done that. Bad. It ends bad. Because God made me, and He made me with a particular design to function a particular way, and he gave me everything I need so that I'll function as I was designed to function. And it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to think that I know more than the, the one who made me. It makes no sense at all. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty... So I see two things in God's Word. I see perfection and I see freedom. Freedom to be all that Jesus made me to be. So I look intently, carefully, purposely 
at the perfect law. That means there's nothing wrong with it. It's exactly right, and it's the law of liberty, which means it brings freedom, and I, I abide by it, which means I do what it says. I don't just look at it and toss it away. I look at it and do what it says. The Bible says, I have not become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. What's the result of that? Look at verse 25 at the end. This man will be what? Say it with me. Blessed. Anybody not want to be blessed? You just rather go through life like you're beating your head against a rock, having trouble at every turn, doing things the way they're not supposed to be done? I mean, that line I don't think would be too long. I don't want to get in that line. I want to get in the line where I'm going to be blessed. That's what I want. I want to be blessed. Well, the Bible tells me how to, how to do that. I need to be looking intently at the perfect law of liberty and abiding by it. That's what I need to do. So I need to be the doer to be blessed. There's an illustration of this, a couple of things, actually. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. If you want to write them down, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. I'm going to just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. But Matthew 7, 24 to 29, this is the end, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus, his longest teaching, the very last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them or does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came. How ironic that we're reading this today. The rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, but it did not fall for it was built upon the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them as one having authority not as their teachers. See, Jesus knows what he's talking about. There's not a time ever when Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. One more uh, reference for you, and this is in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And I think this is a familiar passage to, to most of you, John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if, listen, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. It's the law of liberty. Sets you free. That's what it looks like when we hear the Word and do the Word. But James doesn't end there. He's got one more thing to say in this particular paragraph. He says, worthless religion in the sight of man. What's worthless religion? You think you're religious, but yet you can't control what you say. 
You think you're spiritual, but you don't tame the tongue. And James is going, we're going to get into that. James is going to go way deeper into that subject right there. But the Bible says in verse 26, if you think yourself to be religious, yet you don't bridle your tongue, what does that mean? It says you deceive your own heart. That means if you think you're religious, but you don't tame your tongue, that means you're not religious. You're not really spiritual. You're deceiving yourself. And it says in verse 26, this man's religion is worthless. You know what worthless religion looks like? Worth, listen, listen very closely to what I'm about to say. And I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about religion. You know there's a difference. Religion that's worthless is religion that makes no difference at all in how you live. And I'm, I'm going to just say this as nicely as I can say it, and it doesn't sound very nice, but I'm sorry. I didn't write it. I'm just delivering it. Religion won't save anybody. If you, if you think you've got something, if you think you've got a part of Jesus, but your life don't look nothing like Jesus, maybe, maybe you don't have a lot of Jesus. Maybe you don't have Jesus. I'm just, I'm just going to... I, I, it's not for me to judge. But I'm just saying, the Jesus I met makes a difference. So if there's no difference, maybe you should back up a few steps and see what Jesus you met. Because it might be one you made up. Y'all okay? Everybody alright? That's just the truth. Jesus Christ will change your life. Might not happen in a lightning bolt like it did with the Apostle Paul, but it's going to happen over time, steadily and consistently. It's going to happen. There ought to be a change in who you are if you met Jesus Christ. See, man's religion, man's religion's worthless because it doesn't make any difference in who we are, the way we live. Verse 27, then we'll be done. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. What does it look like? James says, visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. Let's break that down real quick. What does visiting orphans and widows in their distress mean? Well, one thing it means is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Strictly what it says, but that's not all it means. What it, what it means in its larger sense, it means that we're, we're caring for those who are most in need and least able to help themselves. That's what that means. It doesn't mean, well, okay, I visited an orphanage and I went and saw a widow. Okay, check. That's not what that means. The spirit of the word means I'm caring for people who are unable to care for themselves. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being a neighbor Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm being a Christian. That's what that means. Then it says keeping yourself unstained from the world. That word is really, really interesting because a similar word, same roots used by Paul in several different places. He, he, sometimes it's translated unblemished, without blemish, without stain, unstained. Here, here's what and it means at, at, its, at its root. 
unmixed. Oil and water don't mix. They don't blend. They don't mix. You know what else doesn't mix? Jesus and the world. They don't, they don't mix. Because when you try to mix them, it comes out nasty looking. And, and, and here's what happens. It doesn't look like Jesus. Because last time I checked, Jesus plus nothing equals everything I'll ever need. You, if you're taking that, you ought to write that down. That was a good statement. Genuine religion is a life-changing force. It's not enough to just listen to spiritual truth. And it's not sufficient to just come to church, go to Sunday school, go to an, uh, an event. That's good, but it's not sufficient. That's a formal activity. The person whose spiritual experience is genuine is going to put this spiritual truth into practice. And, and that person's life is going to be recognized by love for other people and holiness in God's eyes. And, and basically what that means is that person's going to look like a Christian. And I don't know about you, but that's really, really hard. I can't do it by myself. I need... I need Jesus to make me look like Jesus. I, I, can't, I can't do that without a lot of help. And neither can you. That's, that's what we all need is Jesus.